Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It is a New Year's Day. Well, not today, yesterday. What's the date today? The second. Yesterday was New Year's Day. Um, who has a good celebration on New Year's Eve? Anyone do anything specific? Hands up. Got some hands over here, kids. Who stayed up to midnight? Anyone? Wow, kids, some adults too, like it. Um, not this New Year's just gone, uh, the New Year's just before, I had the best New Year's ever. We get together with our life group every New Year's Eve and we watched a four-hour video of a train travelling from Adelaide to Darwin on the Garn. And I tell you what, it was a raging New Year's Eve last year. I really know how to party. It sounds weird, but we actually had a lot of fun watching this train go by and having chats. But this year we had a lot of great chats as well. Our life group meets, has dinner, and we shared together what are some of the things we really reflected on from 2021 and what are our hopes, dreams, and even our New Year's resolutions for 2022. And I wonder what it is about the start of a new year that makes us want to make a New Year's resolution. Has anyone made their New Year's resolution yet? If you're in the chat, you might want to write what yours is in the chat, but we all kind of do different resolutions, don't we? It might be to get fit. It might be to read the whole Bible in a year. It might be to uh, uh, give up something. But why do we do it? I think the beginning of the year, there is something hopeful in us that this year can be better than the last. There's something hopeful in us that maybe, just maybe, we can be more, do more, see more, experience more, have more of it all this year because uh, we want to suck the marrow out of life, so to speak. Um, Except that if you look at gyms on the 3rd of January, they're packed. Look at gyms on the 3rd of August, ghost town. What is it about our New Year's resolutions, and I'm guilty of this, wanting to get fit at the beginning of the year, that we just don't seem to carry on through? I wonder if it's because we just try and do it all. I want to try and get more fit. I want to try and ride that bike. I want to try and start that small business. I want to try and uh, read the whole Bible. I want to have a quiet time for an hour every morning with Jesus. We try and do more, do more, do more. And some of those things are really good things. We try and cram it into our life and make it so full that we end up having no margin or no space in our life left. And when we have no margin, uh, there is little space left for the things that don't have our full and undivided attention. Our big plan A's, our big plan A at New Year's, often fail because it means we have to do more this year. So if our plan A, our New Year's resolution, our big plan A for 2022 is to do and be and achieve something more, if it's about striving, if it's about ultimately trying to get things done, we're actually destined to fail, unfortunately. My question to you is this. If our plan A is about doing, what is your plan B going to be in 2022? And when I say plan B, I'm not talking about your second plan. What's your plan B-E? How are we going to be more present to God? And how are we going to be more present to those around you this year? We all need a good plan B. Today is the start of our Summer Psalms series. It's the first day, first Sunday of 2022. And we're going to look today at Psalm 27, one of my favourite Psalms. And we're going to see how in the midst of doing both great and terrible things, King David sought to be with God as the number one priority, the number one thing he wanted to do with his life. And I actually really believe it's a word in season for us right now. We don't know what's going to happen next with mask mandates or restrictions or what all that stuff looks like. Case numbers seem to be growing and we have this, this, this underlying concern, what's next? We don't know. We've already had two years of this. Can we, how much more of this unknown can we endure? 
And we want to have this idea where we get back to normal, get back to doing all the things we used to do. But before we, whatever this year looks like, before we get back to doing the things that were normal, doing the things we've loved, I think there's a word in season right now about how we be with God. So would you open with me to Psalm 27? It'll be on the screen as well. I'm going to read. I want you to hear the words as I read. I'm going to read the whole lot of it, but there are two verses in here I would really want to hone in on. Read it with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a path, in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. There are two verses in this beautiful psalm. It's actually one of my favourite psalms and one of the reasons I get to preach on it today. It's, it's one of that's always encouraged me and given me hope. But there are two verses in here that I think encourage us about this plan B idea. How are we going to be more present to God? Instead of our do, do, do uh, life, we want to do, do more and be more. David claims in verse four, there is one thing he wants, just one thing he seeks. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This word for me, dwell, conjures up images of family for me. It's about having a place to belong, to go deep with. It's almost like putting down deep roots with God to dwell in his presence and grow in his presence. This idea of dwelling with God and being with God was David's key heart. Uh, But the second verse uh, we find here that I really want to hold on to together today is verse 14. It closes out the psalm. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. See, wait here has two meanings. It means to have an inner posture of waiting, where we set ourselves up to receive and hear from the Lord, a posture of, God, here I am, here you are. I want to meet with you, an inner posture waiting to hear, but also requires us uh, to have uh, an external practice of waiting, to almost put our life in a posture of waiting to serve the Lord as well. 
when, for when we are aligned with God, when our, when our actions and our inner life meet together, when our heart and our hands are aligned together, uh, our motivation, our actions are totally the same. Waiting on the Lord means that He has our full attention. If He has our full attention, we can hear and wait upon His every word, His every command, and serve His every need. But waiting also means the other things like my own hopes and my plan A, my dreams, my dreams for the future, but even my failures and my flaws all need to take a back seat so that my attention can be fully focused on the one who is driving and in control. Now, David, King David, didn't always get this right. But he always, always seeks God and repents when he doesn't get it right. He repostures himself continually to wait upon the Lord, both in heart and in hands. And I think this is the key why David is called a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see in a moment that he stuffed up tremendously. He had one of the greatest failings of any king, but is remembered as the man who followed God's own heart, the man who wrote many of the Psalms we're going to sing and and read over the next few weeks. See, David's deep sins were redeemed and his family line is blessed with the birth of Jesus generations later because no matter what he did, he always sought to dwell and be with the Lord. There's probably no better picture of this repentance and desire to be with God than in Psalm 51. The words of this song actually come after David has tremendously sinned. David begins as a young boy. He's plucked from obscurity by one of the prophets, Samuel, and said, you're going to be the new king of Israel. He, um, we never, then know the famous story where he gets a little slingshot and he's the only man who says, I'll stand up to Goliath. And he flings that slingshot, kills Goliath. And he becomes known as a mighty warrior. He also is a man of renown and of great integrity and character and he's brought to the court of King Saul to play the liar and soothe the king in his moments of stress. David's renown becomes so big that King Saul doesn't want uh, this young upstart to take his place. So Saul begins to plot against and try to kill King David. Well, King David at the time, not King David yet. David spends most of his young years fleeing from King Saul, fleeing literal death at the hands of the king. Eventually, King Saul dies. King David is uh, anointed as king of Israel. And we think, great. This young kid from obscurity has got everything going for him. He's the, God's righteous man, the right man for the moment. We see that even with everything he needs, every blessing, every gift he's got, every, everything that he has done comes undone when he sees a beautiful woman called Bathsheba and he desires her. He takes her. He gets her pregnant. He tries to cover this mistake by trying to make Bathsheba's husband come back into town at just the right time so the baby would appear to be his, but that plan doesn't work out. So David's plan, I guess the second plan, was to send her husband Uriah to the front lines so that he would be killed in battle. This hidden shame, this hidden sin is corrupting David. But the prophet Nathan has these events revealed to him and he confronts David. And in this moment, all of David's, for all of David's skills and all of David's talent, all of David's good stuff that he has comes undone because his sin, his terrible sin has caught up with him. And this is the man we call after God's own heart. The thing 
that was different about David than so many of the other kings and so many other people in Judges that we hear about is that David has a heart that repents, that turns back to God despite of the incredible sin. See, repentance and forgiveness and a desire to dwell and be with the Lord is what redeems David here. And I'm going to read to you Psalm 51, and I want you to hear the words in this psalm, the depth of pain and repentance that comes of David. I want you to hear the words of an utterly broken man who has done terrible things and has been found out, has nothing left, his reputation is in tatters, but he still holds this power. Hear how he realises the depth of his sin, but also hear how he knows the boundless redemption of God and asks for forgiveness. Let me read it. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Can you hear it? Can you hear the words dripping with David's grief and anguish here in this psalm? That when he is alone and empty and totally broken, he turns to the Lord in the hope that he would forgive him. But that's not true. It's not the hope that this distant God would forgive him and give him a big tick and wipe away his sins. It's actually the the admission of someone who deeply and intimately knows God to say, God, I know that I need your presence to make me whole again here. I need your presence more than anything else. His traitorous heart, his terrible sinful heart, comes back to the one who he knows keeps him and sustains him in his holiness, the one who has kept him from the moment he was plucked from obscurity to the moment he was ordained king, the one who has kept him the whole way through, the one who only wants the best for him to sustain him. See, in the moments when we ourselves, David and us alike, are utterly broken and we fail and we're empty, alone and confronted with the terrible things we do because let's be honest, If we looked in the mirror honestly for a second, we would find the terrible things we do. It's part of our broken, fallen human nature. In those moments, do we seek after the healing embrace of God or do we try and do something to cover it up and flee? This embrace of God that is readily available to us 
only comes from knowing intimately, from dwelling consistently with the one who only ever wanted to make us whole. See, David's plan A got ruined pretty spectacularly. And unlike most of us, David has his triumphs and his tragedies posted in, in, the, in the storybook for us to hear in history. But David understood something about being with or dwelling with God that's so important for us to hear today. David's plan B was to be with God and be in, in right relationship with him, despite how his plan A turned out. And because he dwelt with God regularly throughout his life, he saw the beauty of God firsthand. David saw God's forgiveness, his leading, but he also saw his repentance and his restoration, his wholeness from sin when it was undeserved that he would be forgiven. He saw God's kindness when David had no right to see God's kindness. He saw God's love when he had no right to see God's love. And because of God's great love that he knew so, so deeply, he was able to put David's life back together and let him live. This, friends, is what it means to dwell with God, to stop doing the things we think we need to do in our own strength, to stop striving, to stop uh, fighting and doing things and doing things in our own strength and to be with the one who wants to be with us. David knew this so well. For David, to find the embrace of God meant going to the tabernacle or the holy tent of God to worship, to bring a sacrifice and to praise his God there and be made right in the presence of in the tabernacle. But thankfully, we don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to even come to this place to have that healing and to dwell with God. We've just had Christmas, my favourite time of the year. And we've been singing every carol we sing at Christmas is about God dwelling among his people. Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. We sing these songs and we, 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 we sing them with whole, full haughty voices. But God speaks to us through the words of it. He is with us. Scripture tells us, John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, he, he pitched his tent among us. The same holy tent David had to go to to find restoration and God's presence is now pitched here among us. The God who radically forgave David is present to us right here, right now today. And if dwelling with God opened up David to be made right with God, how much more will dwelling with Jesus today make a difference in our life for us to find forgiveness, wholeness and rest? So I want to ask today, what's your plan B? In the midst of all the plans we are going to make this year, and some of those plans are going to be good plans, what is your plan to be with the one who wants to be with you this year? For when we are present with Jesus, we are positioned to receive exactly what he wants to give us. And what is it he wants to give us? Matthew 11, 28 to 30 tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus wants us to come to him and be with him so we can find rest in him. To find rest from the striving life we will so easily go back to. In this passage, the yoke that, that Jesus is talking about was a heavy cross bar that would go across the shoulders of two oxen. It would keep them together as they plowed the, towed the heavy machinery that plowed the field, the heavy equipment that plowed the field. It would keep them together in step, moving forward step by step. It would keep them moving in the same direction, in the same way. It was a big heavy bar that would go across the oxen. But the irony here is that Jesus says his yoke that he wants to place on his disciples is light. It's a yoke that is a non-yoke. It's a burden that he says that is a non-burden. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, describes it like telling a drowning person that they they have to put on a life jacket to stop them from drowning, but only for the drowning person to go, no, I'm not putting on a life jacket. Don't you know how hard it is drowning right now? I can't bear the burden of having a life jacket around me. It might, it might suffocate me even more. Don't you know it, how hard it is to drown? How absurd. If they held on the life jacket, they would be saved. But we and our walk with God do this all the time. An easy life for the people of God is not an option. An easy life for anyone is actually not an option. Jesus never promises it, neither does God. But... An easy yoke is the option. It's a yoke of kindness that enfolds us in the embrace of being with Christ. Dane Ortland again says in his book, uh, the minimum bar for being enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is to simply open yourself up to him. It is all that he needs and is indeed the only thing he works with. He doesn't open his embrace up to those who have got it all together. He doesn't open it up to those who've got the best CV. He doesn't open it up to the people who've done the most study, are the smartest person in the room, the person who's read the most scripture, who has the best theology. He doesn't open up his life to those who have it all together. He doesn't open it up, his embrace, to pastors. He opens his self up to those who seek him. He doesn't do it for all those who have it together. It's the those who, who, who labour and who are weary and are heavy laden. We are the ones who are welcomed. There is no need to unburden yourself or collect yourself or smooth your life over or get all your ducks in a row before coming to Jesus this year. It is your very burden that qualifies you to come to Him in the first place. No payment is required He says, and I will give you rest. It is a gift. It is a treasure. There is no transaction required. So whether you are actively trying to arm wrestle your life into submission right now, trying to get it all under control, or whether you're passively just uh, going the way the world says or passively just uh, finding yourself weighed down by the weight of the world and life's inevitable circumstances, Jesus desires that you might find rest in him, to simply be with him. In a world where we try and get all the shopping bags from the car in one go, breaking our fingers, white knuckled, so that we have more time to get onto the next thing. In a world where we're scrolling our Instagram feed from one unbelievably Photoshopped photo to the next, and finding out when the next sale is going on. In a world where we are either consciously or unconsciously are told to do more, buy more, see more, go experience it all, have it all. In a world where we are told to have all this stuff and do more, to experience more. 
where everything and everyone is vying for our unadulterated attention, we've simply lost the art of being. Being present to God and to one another. Being quiet. Being still. Being simple. Simply being. And I reckon if we just stopped, really stopped for a few minutes, we would hear the still small voice and the whisper of God saying, Come to me. And you'll find rest. You'll find everything you need if you be with me. I think God's trying to get our attention at the start of 2022. Being present to God means he gets our attention. And as John Mark Comer puts in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, attention is the beginning of devotion. All right, kids. One of my favorite movies of all time is Wally. Hands up if you love Wally. Any adults in the room too? I've got some big hands online. If you love Wally, let us know. For years as a youth pastor, I would actually make, on the first night of youth group of the year, I would make our kids and our leaders watch the movie Wally. I did it about three years in a row. Uh, and uh, maybe two or three, can't quite remember. And every year we would watch it. We would watch it for this one specific scene. I want to know if you can pick it out with me. There's a scene where this beautiful new, uh, this little robot Wally's a trash compactor robot. He would crush all the, all the garbage and kind of make things think, well, the humans are gone. This beautiful new sleek uh, robot comes. Her name is Eva. She's got beautiful light. She's white, crisp, clean. She comes in and her, her searches for a, a little plant. You remember that? You've got to find a little plant. She finds the plant. They've been building this relationship, having a bit of fun on earth, but she finds this plant and suddenly stands up still. She shuts off. Little flashing, blinking light goes on and she's completely unresponsive. Nothing left. She's, she's totally blocked still. Unresponsive. And Wally doesn't know what to do. He's like, tap, tap, tap. He's still there. Nothing. But this little Wally robot has found a companion and he is completely and utterly devoted to this robot who is now completely unresponsive. Do you remember the scene I'm going to talk about where he puts her in a little, little cart and they sail off together across the ocean? Do you remember when it's Christmas and he wraps the Christmas lights around her so they can have a celebrate Christmas together? Do you remember when it's raining, they're hanging out outside, even though she's totally unresponsive and he holds the umbrella up above her? Wally is completely and utterly devoted to this beautiful robot. He doesn't know what's going to happen. She's unresponsive to him, not responding at all. But he is utterly devoted. The reason we watched that at the beginning of a few years of our youth ministry was that we wanted to make this point. I was a youth pastor in Ipswich, rough kids. But the idea is that if Wally could be devoted to Eva, we could be devoted to one another too. But it's also a great picture of how we, and when we get stuck and we feel like we've got nothing left, in the moments when we are unresponsive to God, the devotion of God comes alongside us and will not let us go, just like Wally never let go of Eva. And my question was, are we gonna be a bit of a Wally this year? Are we gonna care for one another? Are we gonna be devoted to one another? I love the movie. It's in the top three movies of all time, in my opinion. I love it. My question is, if this devotion is what God's picture is of his love for us, but it's also a picture of what he wants us to be like with him, 
who will, who will respond, who will be with us, who won't be unresponsive like Eva. My question is this. How will you be with Jesus more this year? How will you be more devoted, be more present with Him? How will you fix your attention on Him and be devoted to Him and simply just be with Him this year? It's not a question that I or anyone from this platform or anyone in the pew next to you or your spouse or your friend can answer for you. It's not a question you can get an answer to from a book or a podcast or a sermon. For this realisation of how you be present to God comes to you in its own time. But God shows us how if we ask. I spent most of my 20s saying yes to everything. My ministry career began actually as a chaplain. I I, uh, said yes to one high school at the time as a part-time role. Then I very quickly, I said yes to five schools all at once. It was four schools, half a day each, and the other half of the high school. Five schools, one week madness. I said yes because I believed those kids needed to have a good presence and a chaplain in their school. I ended up at the same time volunteering 25 to 30 hours at my local church in Ipswich. I wasn't in a paid role there, but I believed in caring for the ragtag rebels of Ipswich with everything I had within me. And I would spend my time and my life there. I would say yes to every opportunity that came our way. Yes to directing camps. Yes to serving and doing a whole bunch of stuff in ministry. I also said yes to doing things like radio in Toowoomba. You name it, I've probably said yes to it. My 20s were filled with a lot of doing stuff and accumulating experiences and knowledge and skills. And by the end of my 20s, I was rocketing full pelt, Thelma and Louise style, to a burnout cliff. Because I didn't know how to say no, I didn't know how to stop and be still. I'm incredibly grateful for a friend who was a pastor at the time, who actually invited me to come and work at her church in this season, who recognised in me that I was hurtling towards a burnout cliff. She invited me to come and work at her church, and I became my first ever paid youth pastor role that year, uh, serving at a church of uh, kids of about 20 kids, six kids at youth group on Friday night operating at about 30% capacity. Because I was done. I was so crispy and fried from doing, 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 doing through my 20s. And I remember she said to me, Brad, you need to do something about this, otherwise you're not going to be in ministry for very much longer. And I knew it. She was right. Another mentor of mine recognised this in me as well and invited me to go to a leadership conference. Now, I've got to be honest, that year was not a great year. I was completely done. I was empty. I had, my relationship with Jesus that year was like, we're still in relationship together, but we're like what I like to describe as two roommates, two guy roommates. You come home at the end of your day after a long shift. Hey, what's up? And Jesus is like, hey, Brad, welcome home. I've made some dinner. I want to spend time with you. How can I hang out with you? And I'd be like, Jesus, I've had a big day. I'm going up to my room. And I'd grab some junk food off the counter, go up to my room, shut the door, eat, go to bed, wake up early, go to work, do the next thing. Rinse, repeat, daily. My devotional inside deep life was pretty bankrupt. I didn't spend much time being with Jesus. It's down at this retreat uh, that I got invited to and the first week is on uh, the deep inner work, self-care. Day two, a whole day of silence, uh, uh, fasting, solitude. And we're thinking, oh, I thought I came down here to learn to do stuff, to, to know more about leadership, to know more about stuff. 
but I ended up lying asleep on the grass for a few hours, just falling asleep. Then I looked up at the sun, I got sunburned, thinking I've still got four or five hours of this left to go. No watch, I had no idea what the time was. Walked down to the bank of the Yarra River and I waded out across onto this rock in the middle of the river. And sitting on, this, on the Yarra River, on my own, on a rock, just alone, thinking I must be the biggest fraud on the planet. I've come to a national leadership conference and everyone else are stars in their field. They do so much better than I am. They, they have every gift and skill under the talent, under, under, the, under, the, under the sun, but I'm sitting here feeling like an absolute fraud because my inner life is empty and bankrupt. And in that moment of utter emptiness, I watched as a little bee came flying down and landed on the rock. And it crawled down to the water and it began to drink. And I had one of those epiphany moments. Wow, bees drink water. Never realised that before. And in that moment, I had this deep impression of the Holy Spirit speaking to me for the first time in a long time because I hadn't been that great with, with God at the time. Saying, Brad, if a bee needs to drink water and I provide it for him, how much more will I provide for you everything you need? And in that moment, on that rock in the Yarra Valley, my life began to unravel. I had this picture. It's almost like the, the most audible presence of God in my life. Show me a picture of me standing at the top of a well, like I've done all my 20s, accumulating a really shiny bucket with heaps of skills, talents, experiences in it. And I'm dipping into this, this well and I'm showering people with this incredible uh, good news of Jesus, the, the cool, sweet, refreshing presence of God. I'm digging into the well and giving people a foretaste of the kingdom of God because it's so real in presence. And in the moment of that picture, God presses in what is the most, almost the most audible presence of God I've ever heard, saying, yeah, but Brad, do you know how sweet that water tastes? realisation for me was that I'd spent my entire life working and operating in my own strength and not being with the Lord. That day utterly changed the trajectory of my life. I wouldn't be here without that moment because I had this unwritten script in my life that I had to do more or be more or experience more or serve more to earn the love of God. And I don't know where I picked that up. It's not biblical, didn't come from my parents, never came from church, but this unwritten script in the back of my life said I had to do more to be accepted by God. And that day, that lie was shattered. It was shattered for me. And I'm here because God used that moment on that rock in the middle of the Yarra Valley to change my life, that I might be with the one who wants to be with me. I realised that I don't have to do anything to earn God's love. I just have to be with Him. That's it, full stop. Because He wants to be with me. Just existing in God's presence is more than enough for Him. Now there's a rock down at Snapper Rocks that I go to. That's my rock. <laughs> I watch the waves crash over Snapper Rocks. 
We often hear Jason talk about taking his milk crate down to the dam here and sitting on it. And he says often, wherever you go to be with God, go there and go there often. What's your plan B this year? Timothy Keller posted on Instagram this week something profound that I want to finish up with today. Simply this. Buddha's final words, strive unceasingly. Jesus' final words, it is finished. There is nothing more you need to do to be in the presence of God. There is nothing more you need to do to be with God. And I want you to hear at the beginning of the new year where we attempted to just start doing and doing and doing more and more and more. You don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to do anymore. You don't have to pretend to have everything all together. You don't need to have a pitch perfect plan A. You don't need to have your life smoothed over. You don't even have to go to the temple or even come here to be with God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. At the beginning of 2022, God is here with us right now. The one thing that David wanted is the same one thing that God wants as well for us to dwell with Him and to be with Him. And I think right now, we should just take some time to be with Him. I'd love to invite you right where you are just to close your eyes. And in this moment, begin to to block out the people who are sitting beside you. Begin to block out people you might be watching with online. And just sit in His presence. Begin to posture your heart to be open to hear from God that still small voice, that whisper that says, come to me and I will give you rest. Just be. Just breathe. Just exist as you are in God's presence. Let His kindness begin to wash over you. Let His love speak to you. As we keep in this moment of worship, we might feel like we need to respond today.
I'm going to pray. And if you want to pray this prayer along with me, I encourage you to reach out your hands in front of you to receive and say, God, I'm open. Here I am. I want to be with you. I encourage you to do that right now. Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus, I want to be with you more than my desire to do things this year. Jesus, I want to come back to you and your presence. Jesus, I choose to be open to you. Jesus, I desire to be with you more than I desire the things of this world. So Jesus, this year, teach me to be with you as the priority of my life, as the one thing you want me to do. Show me how to be with you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've lost the art of being still and being with God. And my challenge to us for this year is to not start the year at breakneck pace, but to start the year slowly, to be still with the one who wants to be with you. We're going to sing in a minute, and I invite us to stand in just a sec. But as we sing, let the words of this song be the cry of your life. Make this a moment, a be still moment, where you just dwell in His presence and dwell in His love. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.